everyone, and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who is we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Mick. Hear me roar. Right, that's uh, see what you did. Yeah, you see. Every time, every week. So, how are you today, Nick? Absolutely fantabulous. I've finished my day job for the for the year. Uh, I'm awaiting delivery of my new uh, surround sound headset to use on my Series X. Speaking of which, how's your next-gen console wars? It's, it's fine. I mean, God, who, who wants a PS5 on day of release anyway? Not me. <laughs> Only no, no, it's fine. Only people who pre-order, that's who. Yeah, I've decided that actually I didn't pre-order my PS5 as, as some kind of big moral stance against, you know, those those corporations and them trying to get you to buy into things where you've not... I forgot. <laughs> I forgot and I thought I wouldn't and then it got a bit later on and I thought oh, I'll be fine I won't need to there'll be plenty of stock and then there wasn't there wasn't plenty of stock Mick <laughs> it's almost like they repeated the mistakes of the previous three generations who would have thunk <laughs> anyway enough of that tomfoolery it's time to move on to much more serious business as we unleash our army of rocket penguins on Gotham City as we behold Batman Returns. Also, I tried to do big dramatic voice, but actually I've got a bit of a cold. Right. And I, th- I think we should point out um, that we chose Batman Returns rather than going back and doing the original Batman because it's set at Christmas. Exactly, it's our theoretical Christmas special. But yeah, so this is the 1992 film, directed by Tim Burton, written by Daniel Waters and Sam Hamm, and based on the character created almost entirely by Bill Finger in 1939, um, that he did after looking at a very goofy picture that Bob Kane drew of a man in red tights with big, big bat wings. And yet it's and yet it's Bob Kane who ends up being the creative consultant. Yeah. Because Bob Kane, bit of a turd. Basically for years his whole thing was, Well, I'm technically the one who created Batman. So I'm gonna dine out on that. I'd like basically shove Bill Finger in a ditch somewhere. So, yeah. I know this is kind of the part of the show where, you know, we, we talk a little bit about the comics. But it, it seems a little bit redundant because it's just, it's Batman in it. I, I mean, it, as a senior member of the uh, crew working on podcasts, um, what I want you to do is imagine, if you will, Andrew, what it's like when the only screen adaptation of Batman that you've ever seen in your life has been Adam West 
okay? And then you read The Killing Joke and Death in the Family. And you throw it down in disgust because not one single character does the Batusi. Well, there's that. And also, you know, surely, surely as, as, as a forlorn Batman carries the lifeless corpse of Robin in his arms, There'd have been one final farewell, old chum. But we didn't get that. So, could could you just imagine if it was like, how will Robin get out of this one? Find out same bad time, same bad chance. Oh no, wait, he didn't. (laughs) I guess. I guess it's probably how people felt when when. Just shows got cancelled. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so this is why the, the Tim Burton films were so huge when they came out, because suddenly Batman had a chance of looking or reflecting how he was in the comics at the time, a bit. Yeah, and I think. It's definitely it's probably one of those big differences for us. So we'll just, as a quick side tangent, mention I also do actually love the Adam West Batman show. Oh, don't get me wrong. There was nothing wrong with it. And if it's if it's kicking around on daytime TV schedules on one of the channels, you know, low down somewhere between I don't know, Home and Garden and Forces TV, I'll watch a double bill Batman any day of the week. But yeah, but yeah, I definitely I come from voices because the the Batman movies they very much changed like Batman in the public consciousness. I mean, I I grew up with Batman the animated series, which was like the cartoon series that was basically a spiritual successor to these films. Yeah. So for me, it's very much yes, this is Batman. This is like what he's supposed to be. And yeah, it's just, it is very weird to think that for the whole generations of people, Batman is Adam West doing the Biff Zap Pow and then dancing about. Yeah. I mean, there was a previous screen adaptation of Batman, which I believe is currently available on Amazon. Unless it's dropped off by now. Oh, is this like the the weird 1940s? Yeah. I've seen, I want to watch it just because it looks like Batman has really droopy ears. He does have really droopy ears. And Robin appears to have an afro. I mean, is, is that any worse than clearly, like, in his 30s, Burt Ward in just uncomfortably tight underpants? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't saying it was better or worse. I was just pointing it out as a stylistic note. Fair enough. Anyway, Mick, you're familiar with the comics character, Batman? I am. Excellent stuff. You you got some favourite stories? Uh, I liked Hush a lot. Hush Hush is good. I think the, the cool thing about Hush... And for anyone, it's basically a story in which, like, 
one of Batman's childhood friends gets murdered, so as to go around investigating who did it. And it's just, it's a really good, like, if you're not that familiar with Batman, it's just introducing who he is, what he's about, and just, like, all his various villains. And I, I do really like it as that. Also, it's got Jim Lee art, and Jim Lee is quite good at that old art business. <laughs> um, the ones that I mentioned uh, before, Killing Joke, um, Death in the Family, um, although it's getting confusing now, isn't it? Because they've got a Death of the Family as well now. Yeah, which is just... I mean, I think that's the way with like every single comic, is they'll inevitably do... What if we do the same as another comic, but change one of the words? Yeah. I'm looking at you, Marvel, with your Secret Wars, and your Secret Wars 2, and then your Secret War singular. And then Secret Wars, but it's a different Secret Wars. Bear, bear with us, audience. It, it, it usually passes after a minute or two. It's just... Take, take, take one of your tablets, Andrew. Take one of your tablets. It's just the, the, they and, put and them all together in the shops, Mick. They put them all together and I don't place. know which is which. Andrew, Andrew, go to your happy place. Smallville. Small. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got him off that ramp. My work here is done. Of course. You, you know the secret is just distract me with something I hate even more. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, I think you've, the, the ones you've mentioned, they are all good, good Batman comics. I think yeah. the other one, admit, well, the one I always want to mention, but then usually don't, is the series Gotham Central by Greg Rucker uh, and Ed Brubaker. Now, it's a really incredible like crime procedural drama it does have the, the one slight problem of recommending it as a batman story is that i think batman appears in about like three issues out of the 40 quite fitting for a review of uh, batman returns then. it is it's really the batman returns <laughs> of comic book series <laughs> and then i think uh the other one of mine which one of my favorites is court of the owls which is... Ne- oh, I've never got around to reading that one. Oh, it's really good. It's by uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, who are the, the same uh, team who did the, uh, the Death of the Family that you mentioned. I, I think the reason I've not got around to reading it is because the only time I've seen it on sale since it came out is in a really overpriced box set with a an owl mask in it. Oh, yeah, they, they did do that like ridiculous, massive bundle. Like, you've also got to buy the... The owl mask. What is, you know video games comics. Just yeah. let me buy the thing without all the... I mean, really, video games also let me just buy the thing without unnecessary tat. I'll, I'll look forward to the uh, to the Frank Miller collection, Dark Knight Returns Steelbook Edition. Oh, God, DC are going to do that now. Yeah, wait, to, does that mean you, it also, like, it comes in a normal comic book cover, but then you've got to take that comic book cover off? Put it in the steel, and then you've just got like a random cover. What do you do? What do you do with the normal packaging? Why? Why give me the normal packaging and the steel? No, Andrew. Smallville. You you can't have like two rants on the trot, Andrew. <laughs> but no, Cut of the Owls is great because it's like Batman investigating this weird underground Gotham society. 
And like, there's one issue where they trap him in this like weird maze thing. And just he starts to slowly lose his mind. And it just seems like the panels start just being like upside down and on their sides. I, th- I think they used elements of that in the um, Gotham TV show. There was definitely a court of owls. Because they're like uh, sort of Gotham based Illuminati, aren't they? Yes, yes, exactly. Well, we're like owl masks. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of bird-themed supervillains, there we go, there's the link. Oh, Shall we move on to the synopsis for Batman Returns? Let's. So, as always, there will be spoilers in this and in the discussion that follows. But it is a 28-year-old movie, so, you know, you've had time. Oh, yeah, that's... Hey, Mick, hey, Mick, hey, Mick. Do you want to know yeah. something fun? Go on. This movie came out when I was one year old. Screw you. Anyway, speaking of awful babies... Just, just, just remember, I get the vaccine first, all right? It's fine. We don't need our, our, our illegal underground COVID raves. <laughs> oh my god, we could have one. And it could be like the blood rave from Blade. <laughs> what, you mean completely gratuitous and adding nothing to the plot? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, here we go. So speaking of plot, should I actually do it now? Yeah, go for it. Because there's a, a lot of it. Yeah, so, in a prologue set in the past, Tucker and Esther Cobblepot, who don't have any lines so they don't get their actors named, deal with it. Oh yes, they do. Because Tucker Paul, Cobblepot is Paul Rubens. Oh my god, is he? Yes. What? <laughs> Look, I, I know I said I wasn't going to get sidetracked, but... What? That is, he is unrecognisable. And he reprises the role of uh, Penguin's father in Gotham. But he's called something different, he's called Elijah Van Dahl. That. That, that has, I just thought it was like, just You're welcome to random fans. people. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Paul Rubens and his wife become parents to a horribly deformed <laughs> son named Oswald. Uh, repulsed by his appearance and his increasingly violent behaviour, Oswald's parents cast him into the sewers. Eventually making his way to Gotham Zoo, Oswald is taken in and raised by a waddle of penguins. And see, do you know what you've done, Mick? You've ruined it. Because now the Paul Rubens thing is like completely blows my fun fact that a group of penguins is called a waddle, but only if they're on land, <laughs> completely out of the water. <laughs> Incidentally, if the penguins are in the water, they're known as a raft. Oh. So, yeah, 30... Paul Rubens still trumps that. He does. <laughs> 33 years later, an adult Oswald, played by Danny DeVito, now going by Penguin, is ready to re-emerge into the real world. To this end, he kidna- 
and kidnaps business mogul Max Schreck, Christopher Walken, and the two eventually strike up a partnership. Max will help Penguin become mayor of Gotham City and enact his revenge on all the firstborn sons of Gotham. In return, Penguin will help Max build a new factory which is currently under investigation by that meddling do-gooder, Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton. Meanwhile, Shrek's frumpy secretary, Selina Kyle, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer, but it's okay she's wearing glasses so you know that she's completely unattractive. <laughs> inadvertently learns that the new factory is actually going to draw and stockpile Gotham's electricity. Max deals with this by immediately letting Selina go. Straight out of a window onto the street below. However, <laughs> whether by luck or supernatural or superhuman means, Selina survives her fall, the experience giving her a drastic new outlook on life as well as some distinctly feline abilities, and so she decides to seek revenge against Max as Catman. Well, at least she does after first sewing together a skin-tight outfit made out of a surprising amount of latex. Indeed. And, um, I mean, to be honest, the synopsis does trail off a little bit here. (laughs) Hey, we're talking about a film that's got plot holes in the prologue. I mean... Anyway, uh, all three of these villains do have one thing in common, which is that the only thing standing in the way of their goals is Batman, who coincidentally is also played by Michael Keaton. Almost as if him and Bruce Wayne are one and the same. Yeah, it's it's almost like Bruce Wayne is dressing up as Batman. No... Really? No, that couldn't be. Anyway, the situation is made even more complicated as while Batman and Catwoman fight against each other, Bruce and Selina find themselves more and more drawn to each other. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that Penguin tries to frame Batman for murders, but it doesn't quite work. And It's okay. The main important point is that Batman stops the Penguin's plan, so he decides... You know what, screw it, I'm just going to strap bombs to all my penguins and blow up Gotham. And that's I mean, the... some people do overreact. I don't know, I, th- I think it's really, it's the spirit of giving, isn't it? You know, the Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, that's more or less Batman Returns. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, although it's more enjoyable than the two um, films that succeeded in in this iteration of Batman franchises, uh, it is, I think, where the rot set in, and it makes one big mistake, and the Spider-Man movies made it a few years later as well. There's just too much. I mean, Max Schreck was created for the film uh, and was originally going to start showing the decline of Harvey Dent, is what that character's purpose was going to be. Um, but um, Billy D. Williams wouldn't uh, sign on for the second movie. Um, but Max Schreck is 
fine as a catalyst for bringing Selena Kyle into the into the plot um, and giving her a reason for revenge and to be up against um, Batman. But that's uh, sorry against Shrek. But um, you know, to be in conflict with Batman, um, you've then got her origin story. You've got um, Penguin's origin story. All this nonsense about a power station that's not a power station but a big battery. All the stuff about replacing the mayor. All the stuff about and it. <laughs> It's a lot to it's a lot to cram into two hours six minutes, and I th- I think ultimately none of it really is done a hundred percent satisfactorily. Also, Batman's hardly in it. Yeah, I did. it shouldn't be called it shouldn't be called Batman uh, Batman Returns. It should be called Catwoman Arrives. Yes, like I think when I was watching it. I I just you know I had quite a fun time. Just thought you know it was a nice enjoyable movie, but definitely when it came to sitting down and trying to work out a plot synopsis for this, there's just so much and it's all over the place. Yeah, the, the it's the motivations seem to just randomly come from nowhere because initially Danny DeVito's Penguin is painted as a quite um, sympathetic villain. You know, he wants to connect with his past. He wants to understand who he was um, before getting abandoned and all that. Whilst at the same time being the most grotesque um, portrayal of the penguin I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I think the thing that actually struck me is that this version is like the penguin if you also crossed him with Killer Croc. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's what it was because originally I don't know maybe they wanted Killer Croc in there as well, but the studio went whoa no <laughs> easy. Yeah, and I guess it's because I guess it's also maybe as well that the original version of the Penguin, like he's just not a very Tim Burtony character, like he's just he's a gangster. It was a bit short and has kind of a long nose. Yeah. But they did approach Burgess Meredith to reprise his role. Oh. See, I, I love Danny DeVito, but I am quite disappointed that Burgess Meredith didn't show up. Uh, it, was, it, it was entirely due to um, health issues um, that he didn't uh, take the role. Um but yeah, and this is this is the problem for me as as you as you've mentioned, you know, the character of the penguin. Penguin is a nickname that he gets because of some slight, um, cosmetic aberrations. He's not actually a penguin, <laughs> whereas Danny DeVito's version seems to be. Almost half man, half penguin. Yeah, I think. Also, how does a waddle of penguins raise a human baby? 
right? I mean, how did how do they get out the baby basket, Mick? Because it's I, like I, it's sealed shut, and they don't have fingers. I know. Did they just peck it apart? I mean, that could have ended badly. No wonder the penguins traumatized. I think, quite frankly, it's a cowardly move on Tim Burton's part that he just cuts away from that bit. <laughs> you think we should have had some kind of montage sequence of the clever penguin figuring out on a drawing board how to get into them? Yes. Also, how did they know to get into the basket? I mean, surely it was just another rock floating down the river. Do you think they could, like, smell Danny DeVito inside and they actually, they just wanted to eat him? (laughs) (laughs) Then saw his nose and went, oh no, it's alright, lads, he's one of ours. (laughs) Yes, yeah, and, and yeah, and like you say, Batman just, like, he, he isn't in this film pretty much. Like, it's basically, yeah, it's a Catwoman and Penguin film. And then occasionally it's like one of the assistants turns to Tim Burton and goes, um, you, you know Batman's supposed to be in this fight? <laughs> um, so yeah, if they'd made this Batman Returns and it had just been Catwoman, it would have had a solid two-hour plot that could have explored all the various... Uh, it, what it touches on really well is the duality parallels between Catwoman and Batman. Um, the fact that they've got... They've both got two different halves that are drawn to each other is fantastic. I mean, the, the bit where they realise who each other is when they're having the dance and Selina Cal just turns to Bruce Wayne and goes, Oh no, do we have to start fighting now? It's a marvellous moment. <laughs> but I think I think it, it loses a lot in trying to squeeze in the penguin plot. And again, the penguin plot could have could have stood to be filled out a little bit and be a bit more logical, but it, it would have needed to be its own movie. And in both of them, the Max Shrek character could have been the catalyst for those um, plots, but just not a third villain. Because we all know that the three-villain format really works in comic book movies. Don't we, children? Yes, just like ever example not bound. Mm, Spider-Man 3? I said ever, example not found, Mick. And I, I I, tried to remove that mental block by saying Spider-Man 3. I, I don't know what you mean, Mick. Don't you mean... Oh, no, because so, then there was Amazing Spider-Man 2, which did, like, the exact same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except it's worse, like because it's like it's Electro and the Green Goblin and the Rhino and then just like a backpack with Dr. Octopus and the Vulture in it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But yeah, and it's... And I think Kevin it is... I would have seen Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I think as well, the, the problem with having the Penguin in it is, like, he's not really got the same connection to the plot. Because, yeah, because, like, Batman and Catwoman, they're both this idea of, like, the duality of their lives. Mm-hmm. But then the Penguin kind of isn't that in the slightest. Yeah. He's just some, some weird guy who lives in the sewers. Yeah, and... I mean, I I, I, I can tell you that um, because my, my other half took a party of children to go see Batman Returns when it came out, and um, I think it was some kind of birthday treat for for our daughter. Uh, and she she had to walk out with a gaggle of crying children as a result of Danny DeVito's performance. Yeah, it's it's not a kid's film, is it? No. No. But, you know, to a certain degree, I think any any comic book movie, with the exception of maybe sort of things like The Boys and those kind of more mature-aimed uh, comic properties. I think any comic book movie should should be at least palatable for children. It shouldn't leave them screaming and requiring therapy. Yeah, I feel like that's the... You're kind of getting a bit into, like, Zack Snyder territory, aren't you? Of the No comic books are serious business for serious grown-ups. Yeah. When they're, so, they're not, are they? They're, they're quite silly and a lot of fun. That's right, yeah. Um, and I think... So I think that's the major flaw this film has. I have got one other gripe about it. And that is that... Whereas, I think in, in 1989's Batman, Tim Burton's gothic... Um, view of Gotham is quite superb. I think in this one, it's gone a little bit more cartoony. Yeah, well, I think it's very, I think, to be honest, both those problems have kind of the same sort of focal points, which is that this, like, Batman 1989 is, let's get this young Tim Burton kid to do it, but we're going to like, knuckle down on what you can and can't use. Whereas Batman Returns is very much, I'm Tim Burton, I'm the biggest goddamn film director in the world, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, and you can't stop me. And he did. Yeah, and I think it's... Basically, this one... Like, Batman 1989 feels like a Batman film directed by Tim Burton. This feels like a bat. Yeah. This feels like a Tim Burton film with some Batman characters in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a fair point. Um, I'll tell you what is interesting though, because we already we, we've already touched on the fact that Burgess Meredith was approached to play um, the Penguin. Imagine the film that could have been. Penguin was offered to 
or was originally uh, sort of envisioned as being played by the following possible actors. All of these were considered to play the Penguin. Dustin Hoffman. See, Dustin Hoffman, I can kind of see. Marlon Brando. Well, that's, that's veered off very quickly, Nick. John, and then we'll veer him back. John Candy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that kind of probably a lot more comedic. Bob Hoskins. Hoskins. Yeah, yeah, Bob Hoskins. I can. What was I? What was I watching the other day with Bob Hoskins? Was supposed to be in it, and then he wasn't. Untouchables, that's it. He was supposed to be Al Capone. Right. That's, look, sometimes uh, things in podcasts are just for me, and that's one of those things. Uh, Dean Martin. D- Dean Martin? Yeah. Dudley Moore. Now, the thing is, if you have Dudley Moore as Penguin, surely you've got to have Peter Cook as Max Shrek. I'm sorry, Dean Martin. <laughs> I feel like you just said Dean Martin, Martin for last, because that's, that's a very different penguin, isn't it? It is. As is Alan Rickman. Oh, that's... I mean, uh, Alan Rickman would be fun, I think. Like, physically, not the penguin. But, I mean, basically <laughs> what I'm saying is I want to see Batman fight Hans Gruber. Whilst we're on the subject of people who are physically not the Penguin, John Goodman. Yeah, that's... God, that's that's breaking my brain trying to think of John Goodman, especially doing, like, a Burgess <laughs> Meredith Penguin. War, war, war. <laughs> Phil Collins Phil, like the musician Phil Collins I mean I'm loath to call him a musician as I'm sure most people in the Screen Actors Guild are loath to call him an actor but he had just done that Buster film hadn't he about this time so uh, Christopher Lee Christopher Lee. That's that's yeah. even worse than John Goodman. Just a walk, walk, walk. Joe Pesci. Okay, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is the penguin I would watch. <laughs> Rayleigh really Otter. I don't know whether that was just because it sounds like he's got Otter in his surname. And yeah, I, I think what happened is it that they said Joe Pesci. And then they just like, wait, hold on, the good fellas come out by that point. They must have been around that time. <sighs> what if that's what sponsored it? What if actually the secret behind Goodfellas is that they all just met at a casting audition for the Penguin? <laughs> as far uh, back as I can get... remember, I always wanted to be the Penguin. 
<laughs> Gabriel Byrne. I mean, that would have been a penguin that outbrooded Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah, I feel like that. Definitely, part of this list is just who has got a big nose. <laughs> Alex Rocco. That's not a name I'm familiar with. And Christopher Lloyd. That's. I mean, if you were to ask me, what is the complete opposite of what the penguin looks like? Christopher Lloyd would be up there. <laughs> But if you want, but at the same time, if in the late eighties, early nineties, you wanted to play, you wanted someone to play a deranged eccentric, who did you go to? That's also true. There were also some different casting choices for Catwoman. Yeah, I don't, well, I Would think like um, it was supposed to be Annette Benning originally, wasn't it? Yeah, and then she became pregnant, um, which allowed Pfeiffer, who was the second choice. To, to get the role. But there were also other actresses considered for that role. Would we like to hear them, my children? I mean, to be honest with you, I'm still not entirely over Dean Martin, but go ahead. Susan Sarandon. Right, okay. Uh, Meryl Streep, although she was considered too old by Burton. That's. I... Surely Meryl, Meryl Streep does not seem like the kind of actor who would just go up for. Okay, Meryl, now you're going to dress up in all this latex and say, meow. <laughs> but if she did, she'd do it to Oscar winning <laughs> standards. Um, Brooke Shields, who Burton did not consider bankable. Uh, Demi Moore, presumably because they couldn't afford a whole more. Boo! Nicole Kidman, who of course got the consolation prize of uh, being Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about your usage of the words consolation and also prize. <laughs> Jodie Foster. Oh. <laughs> are, are, you, are you sure they didn't do that thing that I do sometimes where they get Nicole Kidman and Jodie Foster mixed up? <laughs> and so they just put both names on the list just to make sure they got the right one. Gina Davis. Okay, now Gina Sigourney Davis, Weaver. I can definitely... Sigourney Weaver. No, Sigourney Weaver, that's definitely just... Uh, she is quite famous at the time, isn't she? So let's, let's cast her. <laughs> Madonna. Oh, no. Actually, wasn't, wasn't like in the original script for Batman, I think the one that eventually became forever, wasn't Madonna supposed to be like Harley Quinn, but also she's the Joker's daughter? Something like that. No! Oh my god, no. Not Madonna. It was Courtney Love. Even worse. Oh, even worse. Uh, Raquel Welsh. She'd have needed a bigger coat to cut up, I think. Uh, Cher. Who, of course, 
by this point was only in her mid seventies. Um, and also, I assume would have insisted all of Catwoman's lines be auto-tuned. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Can you imagine sharing cats? Oh no. Uh, Ellen Barkin, Jennifer Jason Lee, Bridget Fonda, and Jennifer. Beale. Wait, wait. Sorry, sorry. We have to go back because because I have to say, Nick, I think of all the bad choices to play Catwoman. Ellen Barkin is the worst one. So, yeah. um, Max Shrek, a much smaller list. Um, David Bowie. I I was going to say, you'd have to get something pretty spectacular to give Christopher Walken a run for his money, but... David Bowie will do it. <laughs> uh, Bowie turned down the role uh, to go off for being David Lynch's Twin Peaks firewalk with love. That's... I mean, that that's a choice. Um... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, probably a wise choice. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I I think I think we've probably um, ripped on Batman Returns enough. There there are some positives, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. Like I would say, the main positives for me are like the cast, especially like Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. and Danny DeVito. I think they've both said in interviews that like they were very excited to play Catwoman and the Penguin. And I realise I've said that the wrong way around to the actors, but fine. Just. Imagine that version now with Danny DeVito as Catwoman and Michelle Pfeiffer as the Penguin. <laughs> yeah, and just... Although, sexiest Penguin ever. I mean, some might say sexiest Catwoman ever. Anyway, they're both very Thank good you. actors, and I think the fact that they are just having a really good time shines through a lot. Especially with Michelle Pfeiffer. I I think for me, uh, in terms of big screen adaptations of uh, Catwoman, for me, Pfeiffer, to to this point in time, is probably the definitive one. Yeah, I mean... In terms of of portraying the character from the comics... Yes, I I mean, I think definitely I would agree. But also, it's hard for me to... I, I might be slightly biased because I, I did see Batman Returns at a certain age. <laughs> and let's no, just I say the that. line, Miss Kitty, I feel yummier, was opened a lot of doors for young Andrew. <laughs> well, let me just... Let me just say that I was beyond that age, and um, no, she she is still the for me the quintessential Catwoman. Yeah, because I think she's got that sense of again that kind of sense of fun that you want with Catwoman. 
like part of why she's being Catwoman yeah. is that just that she bloody loves being Catwoman. Yeah, and the the other thing is that when she's because for when when Anne Hathaway played it in the in the Nolan trilogy, for me there wasn't enough separation between her characterization of Catwoman and her characterization of Selina Kyle. Whereas that whole dual nature, the thing that Bruce Wayne has to do when he's being Bruce Wayne and not Batman. Michelle Pfeiffer gets that off pat for Selina Kyle post post Catwoman transformation. Yeah, so for me she gets that the the separation between the two halves of Catwoman. She does that perfectly to mirror the same in Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah, I think to be fair with Anne Hathaway, I think that's probably something that's been lost from the comics a bit as well, because I don't think Selina Kyle as like a separate entity from Catwoman is as much a thing anymore, which I do think is a shame, because I do like them both having to deal with that duality, and it kind of makes it make even yeah. more sense, like, why they're drawn to each other. Because, And I think that's the important... I think the important thing with any Batman villain is that the Batman villain has to somehow reflect part of Batman's numerous psychoses. So like, you know, where um, Batman is the symbol of order and justice, that's counterpointed by the Joker, who is just a force of chaos. Um... In in the battle of duality, um, Bruce Wayne is now quite adept. He's been doing he's been Batman for quite some time, so he's um, quite adept at separating the two halves of his personality. Whereas you see uh, Catwoman in here, and she's still struggling with that battle, and you see that very much so in the final battle at the end. Um, Penguin, if you if you like, sort of reflects the the seedy underbelly of the city that that Batman tries to expose and yeah, well, I think it's like he's the seedy underbelly of the city, and also with a seedy underbelly, yeah, but and also like <laughs> he comes from the same background of wealth and privilege as Bruce Wayne does, or at least like traditionally in the comics he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. And I think, and you know, to a certain extent, Max Shrek is also he's like he's like the anti Wayne, isn't he? Um, in a lot yes. of ways. But again, I uh, guess that character so that character does make so much more sense if he's Harvey Dent, though, because then you've got Two Face. Yes. And again, tying into the whole duality thing. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I think I think we got. I I think the probably overdid it on the deformity side with um, Penguin. And I think if they made it today, they probably would get heavily criticised for for the fact that someone with um, deformed hands and uh, uh, what presumably was a medical condition um, that caused him to look that way they would probably be heavily criticised yeah. for doing that. I mean, and again, I think that's just generally a big problem in comics, is the idea that a lot of the times 
a character with physical deformities is therefore evil. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, although although it's easy to criticise Batman Returns when you sort of look in depth at it, if you try to scrutinise the plot, if you try to scrutinise any of the characterizations. But at the end of the day, it's still a lot of bloody fun. It is. It's a very enjoyable film. And um, it's also... Do I also like about it compared to certain other live-action Batman adaptations? That Batman actually uses his bloody on. gadgets, not just, what if I drive a tank and stick a load of guns on it? That's true. That's true. The other... I've just thought of the other weak spot, and I, I, it's not the film's fault, it's not Tim Burton's fault, it's 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 a fault of the technology at the time. But the CGI in this has not... Oh yeah, well. the CGI is very bad. As is the Batman suit. Because it's so apparent yeah. that Michael Keaton cannot move his head. Yeah. And, and it, it leads to the, the few... the four scenes that Batman appears in. Um... <laughs> It leads to the spike sequences looking very stilted. And he does a lot more headbutting than Batman normally does. <laughs> this is a Batman who specialises in the Glaswegian kiss. Yeah, I mean, I guess when the only direction you can move your head in is forward, you have to make do, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Stiltedness of the movement aside, some of those fight sequences, especially the ones on the rooftops with Catwoman, are, are beautifully written. Uh, the the bit where she, where they have their first fight, <laughs> she she beats hell out of him, and then he just strikes her back once, and she falls to the floor and goes, "How could you? I'm a woman." <laughs> And he automatically goes into a uh, dashing chivalrous knight to go help her up. Yeah. And then she just, like, kicks him in the chest. <laughs> Brilliant. So, it, there's a lot to enjoy. Um, just maybe don't try and think about it too much. Especially the over-convoluted bat signal. What's that about? I know, it's like... You shine it, and then it bounces off a bunch of mirrors in Bruce Wayne's house. But surely that only works if he's sitting in complete darkness. But luckily, he apparently is just also always sitting in complete darkness. Yeah. <laughs> just brooding. Just sat there going, If only there was more light in my life. Just walk over and flick the switch. You're a millionaire. You can afford the lecky. I mean, what if it's really stingy about it? That scene would have made sense if Max Shrek's big power station had already been built and switched on. Oh, you see, that's the plot that Max Shrek's power station belongs in. If he has a big power station that's actually a battery and sort of power out of Gotham, 
no one will be able to stop him because the GCPD won't be able to get <gasps> Bat Signal going. Fiendish. He's actually Batman's most dangerous villain. Actually, I know we're kind of joking, but the idea of like a Batman movie where someone like takes all the power out and so he can't use any of his like fancy electronic gadgets. That could actually be kind of cool. Yeah. Also, the Batmobile's rad, isn't it? It is. It is rad. Although, it has got that also-convenient ability to change into the Batpod. Yes, which... I mean, that that might be my favourite thing about Batman. Is that, of course, he specifically designs his Batmobile based on the assumption that somebody's he's going to crash it into a too narrow wall and need a smaller thing to yeah. escape. <laughs> I'm Batman. I plan for every contingency. Like, I, I like to think he did it after the first time he went out in the Batmobile and thought, I'm definitely going to crash this at some point. It's too <laughs> fast. I live it's in a good. city. Why did I strap a jet engine to the back of this? <laughs> oh, the... Hey, listen. For one beautiful Saturday afternoon in the summer of 1989, I was Batman. And the reason I was Batman. I don't know why I'm doing that voice because I was dressed as the Adam West version. But the reason I was Batman was to advertise the Austin Metro for a local car dealer. Because at the time, they had a, a promotion going, and the <laughs> the promotion was that uh, because Batman lives in a city, and because sometimes crime happens at rush hour, the Batmobile was too big and bulky for city traffic. <laughs> so it is an Austin Metro. <laughs> Can you imagine Batman pulling up? Batty is like. Poking through the roof. This guy, don't worry about it. I'm awkwardly shuffling out his Austin Metro. So the the, the, the guy who was uh, organising this uh, promotion for this local dealership didn't really do much in the way of um, research. Because the way he planned it was that Batman was going to pull up in the white Mini Metro Batmobile. It had Batman stickers on the side. That's how you knew it was the Batmobile. <laughs> he was going to pull into the car park in this Wait, Batmobile. Wait, just stepping back a moment. This Batmobile, which you're saying was painted white. It was a white ah, It's the traditional colour of Batman. Well, I think it's because they didn't have a black one in stock on the day. And they didn't even have a dark blue. No. Hey. Um. This is... <laughs> but anyway, I was Batman. Now, one of the most important things to remember about Batman is that Batman drives the Batmobile. 
and in this particular instance, Batman couldn't drive. So Robin had to drive the Batmobile. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, I knew there was something else that was bugging me about it. I think I got too hung up on the Austin Metro part to realise that, yes, just they have asked a man who does not have a driver's licence to drive the Batmobile. <laughs> Oh, God, you've, sh- but, uh, <laughs> you've shared the advert. I'm watching it now. <laughs> but yeah, so to tie in with that, our local uh, Metro Rover dealership uh, got me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just... I even got like the bat phone and the bat pole. <laughs> but n- nope, can't get in the Batmobile, no time for that. <laughs> oh, oh, they shouldn't have zoomed in on Batman and Robin's faces. That is, that is not Adam West and Burt Ward. <laughs> <laughs> and, th- and that, Andrew, is my Christmas gift to you. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Anyway, should we rank Batman Returns? We should. So, yeah, it is now time to put it on our list from 1 to... uh, This is now time to put it on our list from 1 to 25. Number 1 being Road to Perdition, 25 being 30 Days of Night. So basically what you're saying is we need to put it on our list somewhere between 1 and 24. I mean, 24 is the 1990s Captain America, so between 1 and 23, really. Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm thinking as maybe a starting point, um, probably nearish the bottom of the list, maybe? I think maybe, yeah, a good place to start. Number 16, we've got the, the first X-Men film. Then number 17, we've got Tank Girl, which I feel like maybe falls into slightly similar territory of being a film that has a lot of problems, but that I, I like a hell of a lot. Oh, yeah. You see, I like yeah, Tank Girl. I think, I think and maybe I like, I like Tank Girl more than Batman Returns. I think I, I, I think I will probably return to Tank Girl before I return to Batman Returns. Yeah, Num- mainly because Tank Girl's in it. Yes, Tank Girl also has the advantage of being a film <laughs> about its title character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then immediately under that, uh, our number eighteen is Lock and Key season one, and I definitely like Batman Returns a hell of a lot more than Lock and Key. Yes, uh, so I th- I think Batman Returns has, has placed itself. Really. Yeah, exactly. Our new number eighteen, Return of the Bat. The bat, the cat, and the bird, and some big millionaire department store owner. 
Matt Shrek is Mike Ashley. Oh my god, he is. Maybe I'd like Mike Ashley more if he had giant hair and like a fun striped suit. I mean, at least when he tries to kill Talina Cow, he does it with a sense of he do, I do really like that scene where, like, he's learning to push her out the window and he goes, ah. Uh, uh, and then he actually uh. pushes her out the window. <laughs> only, only Christopher Walken could have done that. I'm not sure Bowie could have pulled that. He also one. does have two of my favourite lines in the film, which are, first of all, if she tries to blackmail me, I'll push her out a bigger window. <laughs> And secondly, <laughs> why is Bruce Wayne dressed up as Batman? <laughs> it's it's the fact that he's been watching that fight quite intently, and there are several clues dropped about who's who, <laughs> and he's still going. I know, you'd think by the time they get to the point where they're like, Selena, don't do this. No, I have to, Bruce. You, you'd think at that point it would start to twig. <laughs> How the hell did this man make so much money? To be fair, maybe he was confused by the stunt doubles coming in for a lot of the fight. <laughs> Oh, that's that's the other thing as well. That final shot that shows Catwoman surviving. It's not Pfeiffer. Yes. Is it another good? Because I think I heard, was it originally like an animatronic? Um, I don't I don't know. It it was it was basically put in at the end of the behest of uh, studio execs because they wanted to make it clear that Catwoman had survived. Oh, right, it's your classic, in case we want to do a spin-off film. Yeah, in say 12 years' time. With a and a different plot. And somehow a worse costume. <laughs> I've still not seen that one. Oh, oh we're going to have to do it at some point. Yeah. Well, that's about it from us. If you do want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, if you do want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd also really appreciate it if you did you know, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. That is the uh, the best way for us to reach new listeners and, you know, grow in power so that one day we can take our revenge on Gotham City. And that's everything. So until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. I played this podcast like a violin. So long and thanks for listening.